Hello, everyone. Um, all of our uh, LinkedIn audience and YouTube audience, you may have been expecting Joe Reese today, but uh, Joe Reese took a last minute trip to Denver. And so it's me, uh, Joe's co-founder today, Matt Housley. And we are grateful to have uh, Shinji Kim with us today, who is, uh, is it a founder, co-founder of Select Star? I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me here. And uh, thanks for making the time, obviously. Also, thank you, whoever that's listening here uh, on your Friday. Um, the founder of Selectstar, I've been on this company for about two years. Prior to this, I was uh, working on a different company, also in the data space, called Concourse Systems, which was acquired by Akamai. Uh, and now it's an edge computing product for IoT at Akamai. And so do I understand correctly, you founded multiple companies, basically. You're, you haven't done this just once, yes. you've done this multiple times. It's my second company in data, third data platform product I'm building. Um, it's fun. <laughs> Apparently it is. I mean, we were talking before we got started about how running a company, starting a company, working in a small company is a special type of insanity. <laughs> I mean... So tell me a little more about that. I know we're both working over the weekend, over the holiday, which maybe is not ideal, but I, I You should have closed that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, okay, sorry. I just closed <laughs> my My employees should be taking Monday off. I will encourage them to do so. But uh, I, I think often when you're running a company, holidays are an opportunity to like catch up on other important things that have been like falling by the wayside for a while. Yeah, for me, it's always Sundays where I try to catch up some, on some Slack. <laughs> yeah, Slack, email, like any kind of outside writing you want to do, um, just like making new connections with people, trying to reply to things that require a lot of detailed thought. Yeah. What's, um, so after starting a previous company, what was it that motivated you to start Select Star? Like what, what was the moment where you're like, you know what, this could be a company or this could be a new product? Sure. Uh, I guess I'll start talking about a little bit of my background first. Yeah. So I have a computer science background, uh, studied software engineering at University of Waterloo. They have a great co-op program where you get to work with multiple companies during the school term. Uh, and through that program, I worked as a data scientist at Sun Microsystems. This is back in 2007. I was building sales forecasting models for their 10 year worth of sales data. Uh, uh, really, we were like, posting out the next like week week by week <laughs> plan and forecast numbers uh, for sales and operations team. And then I've also worked with companies like Facebook in their growth team doing uh, search engine marketing analysis, which actually is just building a lot of ETL jobs uh, and uh, looking into what the ROI of each uh, keyword performance look like. So overall, I mean, I've all like kind of like started as a like an application engineer, but have uh, stumbled upon data uh, initially actually because I was building like web application for uh, having like an interactive uh, dashboard for our sales forecasting uh, models, which became like a you know more of a R program later. Uh, anyway, so I've been in experiences of working as a uh, software engineer, data scientist. Uh, data engineer, and also as an analyst, I worked with consulting, uh, management consulting before, and also uh, I was the first product manager uh, at a New York startup called Yieldmo. So uh, by the time I joined Yieldmo, uh, 
the company had about 20 people and within the following year and a half, they grew to about 85 people. So the company was growing very quickly and started to wear a lot of multiple hats. Uh, but a lot of the stuff that I was doing was data analysis, uh, running SQL queries all the time to look at how our advertisers are doing, uh, the publishers are doing, as well as like what are the types of like next products that we want to release uh, for our customers. And this is where uh, we started running into a lot of challenges around skipping our data infrastructure because Yieldmill as a real-time ad exchange was growing very quickly. We were hitting about 10 billion events a day. And I'm talking about events as uh, like uh, impressions, clicks, all these activity data that's happening in large uh, publishers like CNN, Forbes, Reuters, Fox News. These are all the customers that we were working with at the time. Uh, we were uh, we were primarily based, our ingestion pipeline was based on mostly open source frameworks, uh, Kafka to Storm to HDFS. And it got to a point where Storm couldn't handle our scale. And that's why uh, we ended up building our own solution and spinning out, spinning that company, spinning that technology out as a company was my first real company that I started back in 2014 called Concord Systems. Uh, fast forward, I sold that company at the end of 2016. Now it's an edge computing product at Akamai called IoT Edge Connect. And through Akamai, I worked with a lot of consumer electronics companies and automotive companies that wanted to do um, better analysis and real time build real-time applications for their uh, consumers that they were serving. And uh, from there, a few things that were very clear uh, was that Companies are just con collect, continuing to collect more data more often. And uh, Akamai has also very close relationships with a lot of cloud providers as well as carriers. And it started becoming very clear that now uh, collecting uh, data, storing those data, and also running high compute on top of those are starting to really get solved by companies that can really, you know, have that cloud infrastructure provided uh, and, you know, with a better way to elastically scale or manage. Um, and so like infrastructure perspective, uh, the last seven years of working at Akamai and Concord um, gave me a lot of thought around like how data platform and infrastructure should work together. Uh, but the part that I started noticing from a lot of the customers I was working with is that the next frontier of problems a lot of them are starting to run into is how they're going to use the data. So I collected everything here, um, but why does the data look like this? Which field should I really use to answer this question? Or in order for me to answer this business question, which are like, what are the data sets that I have I'll be able to maybe, you know, infer uh, our decisions on. So I felt like this is an area that I wanted to solve uh, because I knew that the <laughs> problems are only growing. Um, after, uh, I, after Akamai, I took some time off traveling for nine months spending a lot of time with my parents. This also, uh, this time period that I started doing some advising and angel investing with small startups other seed stage companies and uh, got me to think that what I want to do next is probably some start something again 
uh, in an area that uh, I know that I can make a difference in. And this was a very interesting problem for me that I felt like was overlooked uh, or wasn't really being solved by existing uh, players in the market. Uh, so that's why I started SelectStar. And that was just about three years ago. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you guys, and, and am I correct? Your seed round was about a little over a year ago. Is that right? Or is it further back than that? I was I was looking up some new. Yeah, yeah seed round was like yet. basically soon after okay. I started the company. Yeah, yeah. At that time, I've so it was led by Bauer Capital, which is a B two B SaaS seed fund in New York City. Uh, they uh, knew me from my last company and got me in touch. Got in touch with me. And it was actually a great timing, maybe because uh, pandemic has just broken out into the US. And most of the investors that I talked to at the time, they all canceled their meetings or told me like, oh, can't really make any decisions right now. Uh, but I, I was like ready to start the company right at the time. So I'm just glad that uh, yeah, Bowery was there to partner with me uh, to kick off SelectStar. Yeah, it's interesting because I think right after like COVID hit and everything, there was just total panic. No one knew what was going to happen with financial markets, with business. And then shortly thereafter, it's like, wait, there are actually a lot of opportunities here. And it turns out we can work remote. And maybe this is even an opportunity for us to rethink some of our working models and to bring in talent that wouldn't otherwise be accessible if like you had to have everyone in the Bay Area, have everyone in the Flatiron District or whatever in order to actually work together. Um, so, I mean, we, we thought we were going to shut down maybe right when that happened. And then it turned out that was the best year ever. So, <laughs> yeah. Great. But in your founding awesome. story, a couple of other things stood out here. The, the discussion about like how a few years back, like six years ago, um, a lot of these big data problems were really, really hard. And uh, now they're, for the most part, they're not. We, we actually, in our book originally, I had a remark in there that like the problem of big data was solved. We actually, we got some pushback from one of our technical reviewers about saying that. But I think what I meant by that was that big data used to be a really tough problem in itself, right? Okay, so when Google yeah. started, big data was one of their hardest problems. Like, yeah, they obviously needed the page rank algorithm and everything else, but like just the scale of scraping the entire web was a really hard problem. And sure, you could buy like Teradata for, I don't know, $100 million or something to try to get to that scale, but it was just completely insane. And the big data solutions at the time didn't really scale, and so they had to start from scratch. And now, um, I think you'd be pretty crazy to go build your own Hadoop cluster unless you're operating at the scale of Facebook or something. Like, there are so many off-the-shelf solutions. Um, a another thing that stood out from what you said is that you made this journey from like data science to data engineering, which is very much the kind of journey that Joe and I made. And so we jokingly refer to ourselves as recovering data scientists just because I, I guess what we mean by that, sometimes that raises hackles, but it's that a lot of the problems that plague data science are actually data engineering problems. And then this last thing is that you guys are working on what I consider enterprise data engineering. And by that, I mean that if you have big data tools and you rec that are fairly off the shelf and you recognize that data engineering is key to getting work done for data scientists, you need to start concentrating on the high level abstractions of actually getting data into people's hands, cataloging it, tracking it, all these things that are still really, really hard, just like you were saying earlier. 
Yep. So uh, it's really exciting to be in this market because there is more and more interest in this space and more people are realizing that this is an issue that they want, they need to solve. Uh, so there are, I guess, uh, three main parts that I saw as kind of like the market drivers that really uh, needs better data discovery and data engineering support to basically allow more and like better data consumption in enterprises. Um, so yeah, obviously, first and foremost, everyone collecting more data more often. And it's not just going to their like, you know, prod databases and Hadoop and, you know, it's just sitting in Salesforce. Now it's so easy to bring those data ingested in to Snowflake, BigQuery, <laughs> Redshift. Uh, you click a button, there's already a built-in connector from Fivetran. Uh, you just like load it and then you can put any like transformation on top uh, or just you can just query it by itself, mainly because your cloud data warehouse now becomes the source of truth where you'll be able to find any data wherever wherever uh, domain it belongs to. And I think that itself is actually also a, definitely a step forward from where we used to be. Because uh, like when I was working on Concord like 2014 and 15, oh, like I've been continuing to hearing always things like, oh, like, you know, the omni-channel uh, uh, view or like 360, degree view of customer is actually almost impossible because the data is scattered everywhere in the applications we use. Well, today, <laughs> there are hundreds of connectors to be able to pull all that data into one place. And now you can join them in order to run at, and build the next level analysis and data science model, machine learning model on top. And I think that's, that's pretty remarkable. But on the other side, to make that happen, it does require better software engineering, data engineering, uh, and ways to basically organize data better. Um, but that's only on the infra side. I, I would say it's still it's the infra platform side. The other two parts that uh, uh, I saw also was one, like the, hence, because this is like now the, uh, one single source of truth where anybody can find data from like, like if I'm in the sales team, I can also join it with the marketing data or product data very easily. Um, but I, I'm going to have my analyst to be able to generate report that I want to see. And instead of going to just the centralized data team, now we have multiple domain owners uh, that are creating their own dashboards and reports and KPIs. And I think this way of decentralizing data ownership is also makes a lot of companies to move faster and not having to be delayed of, by, you know, centralized data team. Um, at the same time, it's also now more important, hence, uh, that for the data platform team to ensure everybody's using the data correctly and data is up to date and is quality uh, has the quality because like they are not the ones that doing the analysis themselves. There are more consumers that's going to do that. Uh, we call this a centralized data ownership. And then the last part uh, is basically democratization of data because it's not just the data teams and 
product management anymore. It's also uh, a lot of business stakeholders, executives, customer support that can slice and dice the data as they want to in Looker, Tableau uh, mode that they can kind of filter it out and create their own analysis uh, instead of just waiting for like an email report to be delivered to their inbox. And I think that that explosion almost on and the more advanced usage of data in just throughout the company now is much larger. It just covers a lot more service than before, uh, which brings to the fact that uh, now it's more important to document the data correctly, understand like where the data is coming from or how it was um, transformed, as well as just having a good taxonomy of organizing your data so that people are actually using the right data correctly. Um, yeah, so I think we, in terms of market, we are seeing that more like just even just two years ago when I was starting Selectstar, um, many investors and companies uh, have said, oh, I think it's really nice to have, but I'm not sure like if it's like hair on fire problem. Uh, whereas today, more and more companies see that adopting a better data discovery or data catalog uh, is one of the next steps that they have once they have their modern data stack set up. Because they, after they have set up Five Trend, Snowflake, and their BI tool, uh, or uh, let's just call it ELT, <laughs> it's Cloud Data Warehouse and uh, BI tool, um, they wake up to the fact that they, oh, now actually we have like thousands of tables here. Uh, and we've already had hundreds of dashboards here. Which one's actually still up to date? Uh, which are the ones that we should mark as official dashboards so that everyone knows where to start from. I think, uh, so it's really interesting time to be in. Uh, yeah, so I'm very, I'm having, I'm having fun building product in, in this area. It's a very exciting place to be. I mean, the thing is these, this new generation of, I, I don't necessarily like the term cloud data warehouse. It's an okay term, but it's very widely used. So let's just go with that. So things like Snowflake, BigQuery, uh, Redshift now feels a little bit old, but when it came on the scenes, it was just like this amazing technology just a few years back. But I think these vendors quickly realized that, yeah, people can dump all their data in here, but they're not going to get a lot of value out of it without these complementary products. And I think Google and Amazon have made some efforts to kind of build their own cataloging tools like Glue Catalog. Um, what is it? I think it's like Google GCP Data Catalog or something. They, they're okay, but like they, they have a long way to go in terms of functionality from what I've seen. <clears throat> um, the other thing yeah, I'd say is, I mean, go ahead. I was gonna say that Data Catalog, we see it as a feature of mm -hmm. uh, the platform, like full data discovery, uh, because like I see Glue as a metadata, like catalog. It does not, it, so we have, we like will integrate with uh, like Glue catalog, because that's almost like info schema uh, that we can just get the structure of like the schemas or tables from. Um, almost like high meta store is in a way a catalog. Account usage, uh, tables are in a way a catalog, uh, but with, you know, I guess the data catalog 
solutions are just just has a UI up front. For us, catalog has always been is, is more of a feature of a data discovery that gives you the structure of how the data is laid out. But that's um, that's not enough in today's world. Uh, and what we really want to provide is automated context around that structure. Like where is the data coming from and where is it going to through something like column level lineage, as well as who's using this data, uh, how are they using it uh, through like popularity score and uh, providing um, popular queries, joins, uh, things like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Basically you need a layer, like you're saying th these tools like actually store the metadata, but they don't really provide very powerful search capabilities in the sense that, yes, you can query that metadata and see what tables you have, but they're not really like insight engines, like this sort of next level of metadata querying where you can actually get insights out of the metadata at a deeper level. Um, another thing that springs to mind here is that you, you already alluded to the fact that companies with these very powerful cloud data warehouses can now easily collect data from many, many data sources. So we frequently see in our clients that they might have 100 or more different SaaS platforms that they're pulling data in from. And so with things like Fivetran, um, Stitch to some extent, these other tools, you can get that data into the warehouse, but then you have this, what I'll call data integration problem. And I think we used to think of data integration as just a tech problem, like just have connectors from different systems, that's integration. But I think there's a growing realization that integration is about combining the insights across those data sets. And that's really, really hard as it turns out. And so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that, like the integration problem across many, many external data sources. Yeah, um, it's very interesting because we do integrations with all the cloud data warehouses and BI tools and some uh, like transformation layer like DBT. And part of the challenges that we see, and this is like a, kind of like similar challenge, but in a different layer, different layer, like, like what you just mentioned, how do I join all these data that I got from one from Salesforce, one from uh, like my ERP system uh, and one from my like marketing engine, like you kind of have to understand the schema. So I think having like Fivetran has done a great job of exposing all their uh, schema ERDs uh, on their docs. And that's like readily available um, for everyone. But at the same time, you know, without having a lot of examples, it's also hard to kind of get that through. And I think that's why they've also released the, um, their DBT packages as well, which I find very interesting. Uh, on our side, like similarly, it's really, we want to show, let's say like the integration or uh, the connection between your data warehouse and your BI tools. Uh, but in order for us to show them consistently, whether you use um, Pablo, Looker, World, um, we need to have our own standard of how we treat metadata. And to try to basically integrate uh, different tools into this is its own challenge. So first there is the technical challenge of like utilizing their API or querying their beta store. Um, but 
the, the other structural challenge is that everyone has their own way of displaying or structuring the dashboard uh, or report. Like Tableau will have its data sources and workbooks, whereas Looker will have like the LookML models uh, or views and explorers and then dashboards. So uh, kind of having a good understanding of, uh, we're getting to a, like a common understanding and trying to distill that down simply so that our end users can easily either like uh, know how to kind of combine or where the data is coming from, where is it going and how do I use this together? Um, it's, a, it's a, I think an ongoing challenge, but I see it as it's kind of almost like because we are going to do this work up front, when our customers pull data from SelectStar, they can get it in a more standardized way of metadata. And to me, that's exciting. Uh, and I think FiveTrend is also starting to move towards that direction as they are, I think they're uh, going to expose more metadata uh, of as they are providing more transformation, not just the load. Uh, and I think that would be also uh, really interesting. Sorry, am I going too deep? Um, no, 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 this is great. Um, no, I, I mean, I, I think this is where we see the whole industry going in the future is just toward higher powered abstractions like this. Because again, I, I think what we saw in the peak data lake era when everyone built out Hadoop is they dumped all this data into their, uh, their, editor, their big uh, Hadoop systems and they stored it and then pretty soon they couldn't figure out what to do with it because they had no metadata, they had no insights, they had no catalog. In many cases, they didn't even have descriptions like a data scientist would just dump a big data set in there and then someone else would come back a year later and like, I have no idea what this is. And, and there's just this recognition now like, okay, we have these cloud data warehouses are a form of data lake in the sense that they have unconstrained storage. You can just put as much data as you want in there. But without these insights, it's just not very useful. And yet that data is still a goldmine if you can figure out the, the kind of meta querying to make sense of it for both analysts and data science. So um, I'm going to- Yeah, and I think this becomes a lot more also important when you have multiple cloud data warehouses and multiple BI tools. We see a lot of customers with now two and three different BI tools because different divisions use different parts. And, it, but they are still sitting on top of the same data warehouse. So when you are running uh, downstream analysis of how many dashboards are going to break if this column changes. Uh, being able to see that in the same list is helpful than having to query two different places, as an example. Well, and this kind of uh, organizational insight is very useful too, because uh, there, there are many data sets that people spend a lot of effort and time and even money importing, and then it turns out no one consumes them. And often like the EDW or data engineering team isn't even aware of this. And so they're spending all this effort. They might even be on call to fix problems and they're not even getting used. And so if you can at least detect that they're not getting used, you can do one of two things. You can remove the data set or you can start asking around saying, hey, is there someone who can make use of this data set? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So when we started Slack Star, the main three parts of the feature of V0 we wanted to nail down on was first like, uh, like unified data catalog, and then data lineage and popularity. Combining lineage and popularity together can really give you that insight of 
okay, something's gonna break, but does it matter? Uh, and when you get down to the usage level, not just based on the queries, but because you can see who's been, who has been accessing this dashboard or table, you can say that there's only one dashboard that's gonna break, but our CEO refreshes that dashboard every day. <laughs> uh, or there may be 10 dashboards that's gonna break, but nobody's really using that anymore. And those insights, I think is uh, really um, kind of like the next level of metadata and analytics that you can get once you have a good lineage and uh, yeah, usage tracking, like popularity scores. Yeah, it's interesting that like in, in DevOps, one of the major problems is to track, you know, who's accessing services, how much the services are getting accessed. And yet we, there's progress to be made in doing the same thing with data, right? Like we should treat a table almost like a service where it's like, all right, who is consuming from this? Which dashboards, which services are consuming from it? Which ETL process consume it? And then make some decisions about the impact of that data on the organization, how it should be treated. Yeah, and to go one step further, um, um, some of our customers actually now have integrated our column level lineage API into their CICD pipeline. So they don't get paged, they just block the PR that the software engineer wants to make if there is a downstream effect that's gonna happen. And then they're like, okay, well, there's, you know, the dashboard's gonna break, so you should go check out the column lineage in SelectSAR and notify the owners of those dashboards, these five owners that have created dashboards, they, they should migrate to a new column or so that they, they can update the code before you merge it in. And I think that's kind of the way that we need to head towards instead of just looking for, oh, where's the root cause of the problem? Right, right. And it enables agility. In other words, people can move fast and break things if you limit the consequences, if you limit the impact radius of what they do, right? Like, okay, you can break stuff that's not gonna hurt people, but you, you can't touch this stuff that's really critical. We've also talked to, Joe and I have also talked to a bit about this idea that once you get into the cloud data warehouse world where your storage really is virtually unconstrained, you can start doing things like versioning tables and forking tables. And say, you have to watch out with costs and storage space and there are many things to consider, but in many cases, it's just fine to say, all right, you're consuming from table version 1.0, here's table version 1.1. It might break a dashboard, but it doesn't matter because you're not pointing to it. Now, we will tell you that you should eventually migrate your dashboard to the new version and then we'll deprecate the old version but you can start thinking almost the way you do with microservices where you might have multiple microservice versions out there and you gradually migrate people to the new ones over time. Yeah, and in that regard, I think the version control really needs to be kind of like intact for queries that goes into dashboards. <laughs> Which is a radical notion, right? It's still like, wait, 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 version control. No, no. <laughs> I, I think it's just like when you think about query versioning, like because like now like with DBT models, everyone is like yeah. having this, you know, practice of making the PR and uh, bringing your transformation logic. Uh, I think the next level would be with dashboards because like people would want to understand what, like what the query used to be, where it is now, and if it's going to change anything, you would want to track that changes. 
But it's, yeah. it's, it's like a rough that I, I was discussing with him yesterday, which I thought was very, yeah, uh, was trouble. So. Well, there are other things you can think about here too. Like uh, I was in, actually in a data engineering study session today and someone was asking about like, okay, how do we manage Python dependency versions? And I, I think it's interesting to think about this idea that instead of just keeping different versions of Python packages, so you can always go back in time until you're ready to move forward to the latest version, you can do the same thing with queries. It's like, okay, I, I can run multiple versions of this query using dbt as long as I need to until everyone is ready to be on the latest version. There are a couple of questions. I'm, I'm gonna put some of these up actually. So George Furkan has a question. And I'll uh, read it for the audience as well. So for taxonomy, do you recommend starting high level? Also, should be hierarchical or more of a tagging system? Uh, I maybe if George can, I <laughs> don't <laughs> elaborate the question a little bit more. When we say taxonomy, like you know, we actually we recommend our customers to build their taxonomy through tags. So their tags are structured, oh. so it is hierarchical. Uh, and so, yeah, tags don't have to be one level. It can have multiple. And I guess the way that tags also get implemented is also slightly different. Um, so we did a tag sync feature with Snowflake. Snowflake's tag is tag name colon value. So it's like, you know, you can say PII colon name or PII like SSN. Um, I, and we can translate that into a hierarchy. Uh, but when I said, yeah, taxonomy earlier, my, what I meant was more of, you know, more of like an organization system and it can be implemented as a tags or folders or, you know, um, however the tool they provide. In terms of where to start, how to start is, uh, I think uh, starting at the high level that encompasses the like largest chunks of domain level information and some type of like status information, uh, I think are important for tags. So like domain, uh, like, you know, sales, marketing, like customer, product, things like that. And for status, uh, it would be being able to mark data sets uh, and fields as either like sensitive to not used, to be deprecated, analyst approved, things like that. So those are like the types of high level um, organization system that we recommend our customers to start with. And as they involve more people, into um, Selectstar, they can have the other data analysts and different teams to create sub tags or apply the existing tag uh, to the data sets that they use all the time. So is this, it, it sounds like this is a feature what do you that's think, very Matt? helpful. Oh, go ahead, can you hear me? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. I wanted to ask for your comments if I understood it correctly. Yeah, I mean, this is interesting. I was going to ask you as well. I, I feel like the the traditional like database taxonomy, you can have like, a, you know, data sets and tables and databases and such. Uh, um, 
it yeah, has limited yeah. utility for discovery. And so it sounds like what you're talking about partially is is a discovery tool where you can tag these tables and say, yeah, it might exist over here in some EDW database, but actually this is a table that could be very useful for marketers. Um, yeah, I, also, I yeah. guess the, mm -hmm. I guess in that way, yeah, database schema tables or like projects, data sets and tables mm -hmm. like and columns, I think that's a very like rigid physical structure yeah. of that contains the files, right? Um, but I think it needs to be beyond that because some of them may share uh, a tag. Uh, some of them may have multiple tags. Like it's, it's one data set uh, will be useful for not just sales, but will also be useful for marketing, like things like that. So I think having a more flexible way to organize um, uh, something like tagging system, I think is it will be helpful. You also mentioned this ability to like um, tag a column as deprecated, say, and say, okay, this maybe we have multiple versions of a column showing up in a table. Yeah, we're going to deprecate one and remove it. Um, do you see your customers like integrating that into their development flows? Are they able to integrate that into like a DBT development process to say? okay, we're going to mark this as deprecated in select star. And then over time, we can start detecting the uses of that and gradually pushing them out, hopefully. Uh, yeah, I think it's really um, because they'll be able to see that this field is like, and the user will be able to see that this field is either in maintenance, uh, not being used, uh, or do not use, uh, they will be able to use the other version of the field. It's so much easier to add the field than removing the field, right? Well, especially so, where people so often, they shouldn't do this, you should always explicitly select individual columns, but they, your company's name notwithstanding, running select star and kind of in any data processing pipeline is not a good idea for exactly this reason, because you pick up new columns, you're not intentional about what you're selecting. That, that's true. And this yeah. is why data lineage is so important, yeah. right? Because data lineage, uh, we, because we work on column level lineage. And when we do column level lineage, we will pull all the columns and tell you that this, this includes this column that you know either doesn't or, I mean, before you change the column, because of this select star query, <laughs> you shouldn't yes. make that PR <laughs> approved. Yeah. So I think that's part of the job of data lineage on the impact analysis part. Regardless of how the query was written, um, it's important for the lineage to be up to date with the current state of metadata. So it's not just parsing the query or code. It's like combining all the queries in a pipeline, for example, to see what the final output table depends on so you can understand like what's going to break just like yeah. if you drop a column. That's, good. That's, that's definitely one to put it together, yeah. yeah. We do it piece by piece, so that's why. <laughs> so you're, okay, so you're basically like composing together to get the lineage of tables and then composing those lineages together to get final lineage of any given table that you care about. That's right, yeah, and okay. then Let me put another question up here. Uh, this one is about self-serve analytics. And so I think this comes back to what you were saying earlier about having data more distributed across companies coming out of many different teams rather than a central team. So 
This is James Eichelberger's question. So regarding self-service analytics, it seems that you would have to highly curate the data that they can explore. Otherwise, you will have disagreements as to what the data means. If you have a few thousand employees spread across multiple geographic locations, it, it becomes very easy for misinterpretations to develop. How do you solve for that? I would think that you need some centralized governance of that. And this seems to fit into a bigger question. I mean, what you described earlier sounds a bit like data mesh and there's a lot like this very active, I would almost say contentious raucous debate about data mesh and about whether this can really work <laughs> yes. or what it takes to make it work. And I think it's a very exciting idea, but I can also understand why people are nervous about it. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, data mesh is a kind of a evolution of decentralized data management. Mm -hmm. Right. And it, but if we want to keep data under control, we do need a centralized way to track and govern uh, the data. And hence, in order to truly enable self serve analytics, as much as it's important to uh, open the access of metadata to every, so that everyone understands what it exists and they know where to go to to find it. The other big part that's also very important is guiding the users what's the right one to use and then what's the right way to use that data. So in a way, the like this kind of like now bleeds into data governance. Uh, I've wrote now two blog posts about it and I'm actually giving a talk at Women in Analytics Conference next week about data governance for modern organizations. Can I tune and into that? The is there a way to tune in online to your talk? Uh, I think I think there might be an online okay. participation option for sure. Yeah. Um, but like the whole summary of this is there there are ways to ways for data governance or data management office to operate, whether that's centralized, decentralized, or more of a hybrid approach. There are pros and cons for each of them. And depending on the company size and how uh, people utilize data, some of them may fall better than the others. Um, most of the time, I think people think of it as a very centralized approach. And that's kind of where it starts from, because without a central governing or more like a program management office, it's not going to happen like to make yeah. an impact for the whole company. And data is something that is shared by everyone in the organization. Right. Uh, if you go in, hence, but if you go into the decentralized model, well, because centralized may take a long time to implement and, uh, you know, it, it, it may not go like as smoothly. Um, it, but if you go all the way to the decentralized model, then it doesn't really feel like the governance is really there. Like everyone has their own governance, right? So in order to make hybrid approach better, uh, there, there, which is you need some centralization of defining, like, you know, what are the high level taxonomy that we want to follow or have some tagging system that the different teams can follow. Uh, and some standards around data quality or processes or access. Uh, but giving the ownership and the sub controls for different divisions 
to put it in I think together I think are both important so I feel like going back to self-service analytics uh, it also comes down to how your data is currently managed uh, we've worked with companies uh, that have a huge data mart more than tens of thousands of tables that so they basically like made this data mart um, by only extracting sensitive data or very confidential data. And everyone just like can query however they want. Uh, but within that, they have like certain prefixes that they use or certain schemas or databases that they dedicate it as like, you know, this is like a you know, real analyst approved data sets. Whereas uh, you can also dabble into other data sets, but like if it starts with like this prefix, then you know you know that this is you know managed correctly and governed correctly. Uh, Quality is always upstate, things like that. And hence also this is like a P one of the engineering to be to make sure that uh, yeah everything's uh, good in that front. Um, we've seen uh, solution, uh, companies that approach their self-service analytics like that, as well as we. I've also seen companies that basically the data team, because it, and usually this happens, I think, more on the uh, smaller company. The data team will kind of like take an extra month to create their data mart along with good documentation that explains the high-level concepts and flows and everything. And then slowly onboard their new analysts, product managers, uh, ops people, so on and so forth. And uh, it, it's a uh, it's more hand holding effort, but it also uh, works really well. And people seem uh, definitely get more engaged during the process as well. And then last but not least, uh, more on the data mesh slash like decentralized approach. Uh, we've been working with. Uh, this enterprise company for a little more than a year now. And it was the data management office that initially adopted SelectStar. And they've been basically starting to, uh, after they kind of like together the high level um, organization, like tags and ownership, and they would put ownership per team, different division, they've been basically starting to onboard different divisions and now there are like 12 different teams and each team has their own docs and tags and all that, but everyone can, uh, they, they have uh, high level metadata access and docs access uh, on each other's uh, yeah, data. And this is also why the next thing we're working on right now is permission-based access control because oh. now the view, view level permissions becomes more important as yes. you have 12 different divisions all working on the same platform. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, it's it's not a like one sentence answer, but. Oh, no, 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 it's it, by its way. nature. These are like hard, hard problems that I think people have been working on since the 80s. I mean, you know, the, the big data generation likes to think that they reinvented everything, but pe people have been working on this stuff for a long, <laughs> long time. I think we're lucky to have better tools to do it with, but uh, yeah, it's th these are not simple answers by any means. Um, what, so one thing I'm curious about, 
Are you familiar with this? It was like a blog post. This this was a few years back. I feel like it was from Airbnb. I'll have to track it down. It was, it was probably all the way back from like 2016 or something like this. And I think it was like Data Portal, which was this internal mm -hmm. tool. Yeah, you're familiar with this. Okay. So in addition to the other things we're talking about here, which are fantastic, I, I think they started doing some of these things a few years back because, you know, they're Airbnb, big company. They have a lot of resources. Um, another thing they added to the mix was a social layer. And so the idea of the social layer was that basically integrated with your um, data catalog, data lineage tool, you have like a wiki basically where people can come in and post information about their data sets. So it's funny, it also sounds um, a lot like data mesh in some ways, but they can post information about the data sets they own and other people can come in and ask questions about those data sets and people can post information about bugs and about bad data and about good data. Um, are you guys working on anything along those lines, kind of more of a social integration with these other tools? Yeah, we have it already. Oh, fantastic. So anybody okay. can add comments and mention other people and mention tables, columns, dashboards in their comments, whether that's a question or answer. Anyone that, like if I'm mentioned, then I'll get notification, in-app, email, Slack. Okay. And we will also push Slack notification to you if somebody's adding any comments on the table that you own, or if someone is asking you for help because they tagged you on uh, the comment, uh, and you can also reply directly from Slack. So you don't always have to go back to Selectar. And it's not just the interaction. I think the part that I think is also really useful and important for uh, like people that are utilizing data discovery tool like Selectstar is being able to search through these discussions. Yes. So first you being able to see all the discussions that happen happen about that specific data set and uh, any you know keyword that you see you, you type in mm -hmm. to see like data sets, dashboards, docs, and discussions that has happened uh, on that keyword that you are searching for. So that's something that we've had from very early on. Um, and now we are starting to uh, add that more combining all together with docs, which I'm very excited about. So our latest update to docs, which were basically like rich text docs, you can uh, link, uh, basically mention, uh, like how you're doing in discussions, like comments, like what I mentioned. But once you have that, we're now starting to show all the backlinks that you now are looking at this table. Here are the discussions that has happened. Here are other docs that's mentioning this table and vice versa. If I'm looking at a concept level documentation, high level documentation, um, I can, you know, like I can, I can see other places that this doc has been mentioned by. Uh, so that I think those are, ways to kind of discover information without you having to either like put the same information in multiple places. Uh, and it also can update it everywhere all at once if you are changing something. And the, the Slack integration makes a whole lot of sense rather than reinventing the wheel to say, okay, we're gonna have a social layer, but we're gonna integrate it with the social layer that we already have. Oh, this is this is great. And l let me ask you another question. Um, and this ties in with the social layer and the lineage and everything else. Um, we, we've talked some about how SelectStar impacts uh, analysts, dashboards, and such. 
What's the utility for like data scientists and even machine learning engineers? Like how would they use something like Selectstar in their workflow? So most of the machine learning and data scientists that we have talked to in mm -hmm. the past, their workflow have really been on um, focusing on very specific a segment of the data set mm -hmm. that they are trying to build a better model on, right? So in that regard, you know, like it can help you get to a point where they can spot the right data sets. But uh, beyond that, uh, right now, uh, you know, it, after they find those, those data sets, they're going to kind of go, go, go to their, uh, open up their notebooks and kind of do what they need to do. <laughs> um, but the other part of machine learning workflow that we have getting, we've been recently getting more requests on uh, is feature management because each feature uh -huh. and testing out those features and versioning of those features are have a lot of similarities to um, data discovery as well, like more like a column uh, uh, discovery. So we have a couple of like ideas around it, um, but we haven't like really made uh, like a you know development plan for it yet. Uh, still kind of in ideation phase with uh, some of our close customers. Well, yeah, and I mean, this is always the classic problem when you're a new startup, right? Like you have really solid customer base, you're starting to identify product market fit. You can see thousands of exciting things that you could do, but which ones do you focus on first versus which ones happen two years down the road? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But also because these data stacks starting to become very like versatile, like some of yeah. our customers use Snowflake as their feature store. Yep. So for them, like, you know, oh, just like, you know, we'll just use this, like each column and how, like it, it then it becomes more like, can we apply the integrations to um, Databricks or notebooks? And yeah, so because that's like the other part of discovering the uh, models and uh, analysis, like almost like a becoming like the knowledge base uh, that we can provide. Um, yeah, so that's, there are a lot of different uh, ideas around improving uh, the data scientist machine learning uh, workflow as well. But it's, it, you know, it, I, I feel like it's its own thing too. Yeah. So like we always, I guess now like working on like, you know, multiple startups and have also seen so many uh, startups, uh, B2B startups up close. I'm very, <laughs> I, I'm just being focused and I don't, don't want to distract ourselves too much overall. So one day. Well, so. <laughs> I feel like there's this weird phenomenon going on in the data startup space where you have, how shall I say this? There are a lot of companies going head to head <laughs> in certain areas. And, and to me, to run a successful startup, what you want to do is identify a niche and say, all right, we're just going to operate in this little niche here and we're going to get really, really successful. And then we'll expand out and start going head to head in some of these other areas. And so I, I feel like um, you're doing that. Like there are other data catalogs and there are other data lineage tools, but this is a very unique take on these tools that solves problems in a very specific way. So that from, from watching a lot of data startups, that that's an exciting thing from my perspective. So like that. That's Thanks. how you build, right? Like, <laughs> like you got to focus on a problem that you can solve extremely well for a lot of people. So, yeah. The, the other comment I'll make though, is that um, I feel like there's kind of this artificial distinction between data engineering and ML engineering. I, there are differences, but it's more of a continuum and same thing with analytics engineering. So for example, um, 
data engineers, ML engineers, they're, they're both in some sense going to be working on data modeling. It's just, they might call it different things, right? Like in reality, don't tell anyone, but well, I'm saying it on the show. So here we go. Um, featureization is a type of data modeling, right? Like that sounds completely crazy, but like when I'm hot in coding, what am I doing? Well, I'm, I'm just changing the representation of that data. So it's more appropriate for machine ingestion into a vector space. It's, it's a form of data modeling. I hate to say it, but that's true. And um, it's not, so maybe data engineers don't focus quite as much on one hot encoding. They're more interested in other types of data modeling. But again, it's a continuum of skills all the way from like analytics engineering over to ML engineering. And so it often turns out that when you solve a data engineering problem or an analytics problem, you might also be solving an ML engineering problem as well. Yep. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> this has been a really great chat. Um, and anything else you'd like to talk about before you start your uh, working long weekend? Oh, <laughs> no, I think this was fun. Uh, so thanks so much for having me on the show. Um, there are, I think it just, you know, it will be great to chat with you guys again in like six months or so, because we're going to have a lot more exciting features that uh, I'll be able to talk about once they are out and I can also okay. see how people use it. Uh, something that happened like recently was like we we uh, released a bunch of new uh, features uh, for Q1 and one of them was auto description feature. So this utilizes our lineage very heavily. Uh, every time we see a data uh, being replicated, like being literally like used as is, we will give you a suggestion of the documentation, like what this field ah. should, like what the description should be. Okay. We also do this by looking into uh, pairing all the metadata. It, does this have the, exactly the same column structure uh, and like, like their names and like the name, like number of columns are the same. So it's almost like if it looks like a duplicate uh, table, then we will also like copy over the description. Um, uh, and then we've also been utilizing some of the open source DBT packages like what Fivetrend posted because it has uh, official documentations from like the official APIs, including like Salesforce, Stripe, so on and so forth. All these raw documentation was in the package, but like when Fivetrend moves the data, they only create the table, but they don't bring you the description. <laughs> so these are some of the things that we've like combined to bring uh, table column level documentation for our customers. And that has increased a two to five X more feel rate on their column documentation, which is really interesting. And this is one of the things that's like, oh, aha moment when now our new customers, they plug in their data warehouse and they're like, oh, uh, I didn't write this doc, but it makes sense. And like, and this, and we were like, well, it came from the doc you wrote in this yeah, other yeah. table. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's uh, that's like one of the things that I was very excited about because last two years of building SelectStar has been a lot of focus on building a good foundation of catalog, uh, column level lineage, and popularity, and now we are really starting to build a more exciting features that leverages that foundation, like auto description. We also will propagate your tags. So if one column you mark as a PII, 
we can look at upstream and downstream to see which data is uh, being used directly. Because we will all tell you whether lineage, this is lineage, so it is a dependency, but if it's aggregated or transformed, we are not going to mark it as an inherent uh, uh, data like replica. So in that case, we won't tag it, but we can tag all the other ones as a PII. Um, and yeah, and then yeah, doing the backlinks on the like rich tech stocks as well, so linking that with this uh, discussion. Um, and then we have a couple other things that's coming up uh, after Q2, including uh, app control. So yeah, it will be, it will be uh, great to chat again. Uh, and I'll probably have more like success cases to share around data governance and data mesh. Uh, this is an, another area that I'm starting to get more involved with our customers. And I, I actually had a call uh, with George, a live show with George before, uh, oh, and I'm giving okay. a talk next week. I recently also had a yeah. round table uh, in conference in Warsaw about data governance. There's uh, so many questions every time I do this. And I think that really speaks to, uh, we need, to the fact that we need to share more examples and best practices uh, for people that actually now wants to implement uh, it in their own, uh, in their own companies. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these things, so the tools are really critical, but a lot of what we're talking about here is more of like an organizational and social practice where you need to bring in the tool, but then get people using it the right way so they're communicating across teams about data utilization, about data quality and data governance issues. Yeah, so if you're going to check out our, my talk next week, it's yes. next Friday in uh, Columbus, Ohio, but I, I think they'll have a, a, a online uh, as well. I have like a FAQ section. And the first question is, how do I convince my executives about data governance? How do I get user engagement when we are implementing data governance? How do we measure impact of data governance in our organization? Uh, so yeah, I'll give you the teaser here. <laughs> oh, fantastic. And another thing I would add about data governance is that when people hear the term data governance, they start thinking back to the 90s and like a giant company, like maybe, I don't know, maybe something like General Electric and like a big committee sitting in a conference room and maybe they're like leather chairs and mahogany tables or something. And a lot of like almost data authoritarianism. And I think the vision you guys are promoting is data governance can be very distributed and collaborative using a tool and, and adopted as a social practice and it can work across an entire company. And I, th I think that's a big part of your message as well, that it doesn't have to be like this crazy top-down management structure. It doesn't have to be something that you dread. It can be something that actually is enjoyable to participate in and makes massive contributions to the success of your work rather than just being like a compliance box to check. Right, it's both. Okay. Bringing a tool is not gonna solve the problem. Right. Uh, but having a tool will accelerate what you want to do and because it's such a big project for every company it's almost like you would probably need a tool but you also need to ensure that you are prepared to run the process change management bringing everybody together all that yeah yeah jake carter's comment is people are always the problem and i agree with that but i also agree <laughs> that technology tools can help people to be better if we adopt, adopt them appropriately they can also make us worse yeah. but i think this is a tool that can <laughs> we use it appropriately so yeah yeah 
All right. Well, how if anyone uh, we already posted the information about Select Star. Thank you, Colleen, for putting that into a comment. Um, oh, if people are you. interested in following you or learning more about you, Shinji, where should they look? Like what kind of information? What's your basic contact info, Twitter handle, that kind of info? Yes, selectstar.com is the best place. We're on Twitter uh, at selectstarhq, and our LinkedIn uh, is on. I guess it's just selectstarhq uh, slash company slash selectstarhq. So you can find us there. Okay, let me make sure. Let me put this up and tell me if it's correct and if it's not at selectstarhq. Yep. Okay, fantastic. So for both LinkedIn and Twitter at at selectstarhq and. Uh, yeah, definitely go check it out. And I will try to check out your talk next Friday as well. So really great conversation. Uh, thanks for taking the time to be on, especially holiday weekend. Um, you've got lots of stuff going on. So I'll, uh, I'll let you get back to your Friday. <laughs> thanks so much for having me here, Matt. I, I had a great time talking to you. Today. Thank you so Have much. Have a good weekend. Uh, happy Friday. Happy Friday.